Welcome to the Honest Business Podcast. This is the show for ambitious, value-driven business owners who are actively building a business that works for them. Hi, I'm Mae James, and I'm here to make scaling your business easier and more rewarding than ever. Each week, we will dive into simple, sustainable strategy and pragmatic leadership discussion to support you as you take imperfect action on your entrepreneurial journey. If you want to stay ahead, exceed your growth goals, and have a purposeful, thriving business, then keep on listening. Hello and welcome back to the Honest Business Podcast. I hope you are well. I am back today with another episode. We've got a Q&A episode, which I know always goes down well. And these are questions that people have said to me either, please can you answer on the podcast or have been questions that have been asked in person or um, when I've been speaking to business owners around the world. So if you're new to the Honest Business Podcast, hello, welcome. And if you've been listening for years, for a year? It's nearly a year. Is it a year? No. I think in March it's a year. So soon it will be a year. If you've been listening for the whole time, then welcome back and thank you for listening. If you are watching us now on YouTube, hello and welcome. That is a new addition for us that we are testing out and trying. You're not missing much if you are listening via a podcasting app. It is just me sat talking. Um, I've been filmed, so you're not missing anything. Do not fear that you, you know, need to be doing something you don't. Uh, But yeah, let's dive into um, the questions today. There's a bit of a, I've got 10 questions for you. Majority of them are sales related questions, but there is a couple that aren't. So we're going to cover sales, bit of team and a bit of just general business chit chat. So get comfy and I'll dive in. So number one is asking for tips around getting clients to return, which is a really great kind of question to kind of start with. So tips for getting clients to return. Typically what you've got to look at first of all is do you actually need return clients? And I say that because a lot of times businesses are built in a way that they don't actually understand their business model and don't fully understand why they're wanting certain things. So some business models don't make sense to have repeat clients. Most of them do and most of them obviously you can create something that makes sense. But what I'm trying to get at here is that it's not that client retention needs to be that someone continues with you for like years and years and years and years and years and that be a kind of success factor or a KPI to say, yes, the business is doing what it's supposed to. Some people in some businesses, it makes more sense for you to have these massive gaps in people returning or referrals is a much better way of measuring how good of a job you're doing. However, You've asked how to get more clients to return, so I will answer. (laughs) You need a a return strategy. You need a client retention strategy. That is something you build out. It is multi-layered. It is not just one thing. It shouldn't just be one kind of, right, we're doing this and that's it. That's often a tactic. It's often part of the strategy. The strategy needs to be a wider, whole business encompassing kind of process. Ultimately, the bottom line is be good at what you do. If you can be good at what you do, you tend to obviously find that clients will return. So as a bare minimum, you've got to be really bloody good at what you do. But I also think communication is really key and communicating value. A lot of businesses struggle to communicate their value that they give to their clients, their customers, their stakeholders. And people don't, if they're not fully connected with that and they can't fully see that in their head and they don't also internalize that, they're less likely to return because they don't fully understand what they got from that situation. And especially for service-based businesses, especially for online-based businesses, that is something that people have to really try and get their heads around. Because if you are trying to just constantly have people and keep them for longer or get them to return, 
sometimes they're just returning and you don't know why. And so that's where your brand comes into it. It's where that your longer term vision for the business comes into it. It's where, you know, your product suite comes into it of understanding, well, what point of the journey does that serve them? Is there anywhere for people to go? Sometimes in a business, clients aren't returning because there's not a clear roadmap or step. And that doesn't mean to say that you have to plug every hole because actually sometimes in business, the best thing you can do is to let people move on because the business is through a growth phase or it's going through a phase where, you can't supply and offer what that next step is for that person. And that's okay. They can go somewhere else and they can come back at the point in which you do have a solution. It is not about you constantly creating solutions for the rest of time just to kind of ensure that everyone can stay with you. It's okay if they outgrow you. It's okay if you outgrow them. Yeah. And so it's about you getting really clear on what as a business do we do? What do we do really well? What do we want to do? Is there a retainer model built into that? And if it is perfect, is there a subscription that you can kind of ensure that people do stay with you for a long time? But if there isn't, I sometimes I have people come to me who are like, right, I've got no next step for people. And they've consumed so much information online that it tells them about having this never ending product suite and this value ladder and people have to keep moving up. And I have a very different approach on that. Um, not that I disagree with that. I just have a different alternative option for people to, to view as a model, which is a whole other episode in itself. And when we look at that, I think sometimes you have to remember is like, if you are not a massive conglomerate business with ult, you know, unlimited resource, even like a huge amount of resource, it's very difficult to extremely well execute, let's just say 10 different offerings. I'm always much rather you focus on one offering, two offerings, three offerings. I love a one offer and I think, you know, build build your massive business on just one offering and then do something else if you've got to. But, you know, two or three, I really believe in and getting really good at that and refinement and sticking at something for years and years. So it's okay if client retention doesn't kind of, happen if you are a business like i don't know a sweet shop or you're someone who it's a consumable and therefore it makes total sense that people should return that's when you need to look at your market and that's when you need to look at you know your certain models in your business and product placement of how can you get people in subscriptions fantastic option you know how can you incentivize people to return that's a whole different conversation but for most people listening to this podcast, it's about really going back to your strategy and understanding what this, like why you're doing this. And remembering that if you are someone who's scaling and who you're running a decent sized business, the, the point in which that you're at will dictate where in your strategy this fits in. So for some businesses I work with, um, their client retention strategy is, is massive and it, it's a huge part of what they do. And so therefore, in our overall yearly growth strategy, it's in there as a kind of key focus. For some people, it won't be. Some of you will be able to just have a really high retention rate without actually doing much. And that's great. That's fantastic. As you scale and obviously the amount of clients you serve gets bigger, that is when the client retention stuff needs to kind of take center stage in the sense of you actively working out how you're going to do it. Number two how do you find what you're good at? This is such a fantastic question and is a question that actually comes up a lot with clients. So how do you find what you're good at? This takes time and that's probably not the answer that you want to hear. And I don't think it's the answer many people tell you, but I honestly believe it takes time. It takes a lot of trial and error. It takes you doing stuff and hating stuff. It takes you doing it and finding an amazing results with things. It's it's about you actually doing and not thinking. And I think the more that you figure out through trial and error the more kind of honest and raw 
version of what you're good at you will find. However, there are obviously some things you can do to find out what you're good at. So there's lots of kind of exercises you can do. You can list out stuff you enjoy doing. Like I always think that's really important to list out what you enjoy doing because that massively impacts kind of what you're good at. They do correlate. Not all the time. Sometimes people are very good at something and they don't really like doing it. I have a few professional things like that where I don't love it, but I'm very good at it. And you know, or I'm good at it to a point where men beyond what many others can do and so that's a really interesting piece but for a lot of people what you enjoy and what you're good at can be kind of interlinked together I would list out whatever you love doing whatever you love doing in your work when you're working through when you're working with a client what is it that actually you pinpoint down you're like that topic that section that piece of methodology that piece of literature is what I really love to dig my teeth into then also list out what do you get the best results for from people because it's like all of us can talk about numerous different things, right? With clients can work with them across a whole variety of business functions. But there's certain business functions that I do particularly down well at and particularly can move a business in like no other. Whereas other sides and functions of the business, I'm good at, I can do it. I, I'm very knowledgeable, but it doesn't give the same push. It's not my zone of genius. It's not my like flair of like, oh my goodness, May is just the best at that. And so you can lean into that and you can feel into it. And also, you know, I talk about data a lot, right? This is a great way of using data to help you find the answer to this. Because many people look at that question as a very like loose feel into question, which obviously I'm suggesting you do to some degree. But I also think you can pair data collection with this and really get a kind of interesting factual perspective. So look at the data of, out of all of your clients, what specifically has changed for them? Where is the revenue growth? Where is the happiness for them? Where is like, what specifically have you done that has helped them? And then what was that that you actually did? And the more you can gather data around that and start adding it up and start looking at it and analyzing it, the better you will find what you're good at. The other thing to note here is it's often something that you've done for years and years that you then think you had to reinvent and find a different solution for. Often it is right under your nose what you're good at and you kind of dismiss it or you think, oh, it's not good enough or it's not big enough. Big issue we have a lot, especially with people who run B2B businesses, is that their main service and core offering is fantastic and it's really good. But because they've been doing it for years and years and years and years, they have this feeling that they've got to change it and they've got to like improve it and find different ways and add things. And so they end up like adding all this other random stuff and actually years down the line, then come back to the core of what they do. And they're like, yeah, do you know what? We should have just stuck with this the whole time because that's what we're really good at. I suppose the saying is if it's not broke, don't fix it. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I don't know. But it's that kind of premise, right? Of like, what is it that you're fantastically good at? That will kind of, um, in business, that often is like under your nose, really obvious. It could be what you started with, not always, but it can be what you started with. The other thing I think to to say is it's good to ask other people other people can really give you an answer that you maybe don't know so um, asking team members asking clients asking community ask them what do you, what am I good at what do you come to me for what do you look for me for my opinion for that can really help be like yeah actually they think that and I don't think that and there's a real gap there and you can start investigating the gap and be like okay do I want to be known for that do I not but I think when you are in business, you have to go through a process of just trying stuff and failing and not enjoying things. And that's not to say that that's got to take years and years. Sometimes, and for a lot of us, it does. 
but it's just about you being okay with the fact that this is part of the journey and it's supposed to happen. I think a lot of people think that they come into business and they're supposed to know from the get-go. Like I work with businesses who have been going for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and they're still on that journey to fully refining that and fully understanding it. So if you're two years in or three months in or six months in or you're three years in and you're thinking, God, I still don't really know that. I'm not sure. I just want to kind of reassure you to some degree that that's okay. It's something that continues to grow as you grow and develop. Question number three is how do I stop worrying about money in business? This is an interesting question, right? Because <laughs> this is something that a lot of people come to me. They don't ask that question necessarily in that way, but they're basically wanting an answer to worrying and kind of feeling, just feeling a bit of like anxiety around it. So when people are worrying about money, that is often a cash flow issue. Yeah. Sometimes it won't be. Sometimes you might have money in the bank and you know, you've got a certain situation that means that you're still worried about money. But for a lot of people, and if you're listening to this podcast episode, your worry about money is probably coming from cash flow, meaning the money coming in every month to your business and the outgoings, and then what's left over and you paying yourself. And is there, you know, more going out than there is coming in every month? Is it that you're, you know, you're worried about in six months time, all this revenue is going to fall off. So I don't know where that's coming from. I need to fill that gap. There's a lot of conversation, right, and potential situations as to why you are worrying about money. The one thing I think you need to understand is that you're in control of solving that and you're in control of just literally taking a hand of it. And I think people often with money in business and cash flow feel like it's out of their control. They don't have any control. It is the complete opposite. You are the person that dictates how much money is in your business bank account, how much money is in your bank account, and what happens. Yes, there is external factors. Yes, there is global issues. Yes, there is lots of things that happen that will disrupt your strategy and disrupt how you move in business. However, I always say there are people who are making money. Even when there's like the worst financial situations going on, millionaires are made, people, you know, are thriving, people are enjoying, people are spending. And that is not me dismissing the impact and the real challenges that come for businesses from those, you know, horrific events. That is really real. That's really raw. That's really true. But what I do think is very important is that if you are someone who worries about money in your business, you aren't really taking responsibility for it either. Often there's a massive gap there. I see a massive gap with people being like, I'm worried about the money. And then there's this kind of like cop out and it's not conscious, right? So often they think they are doing something, but I'm like looking and I'm like, well, okay, that behavior doesn't correlate with helping you in that sense. That strategy that we build to ensure that you have reoccurring revenue, you aren't following through with it. And subconsciously, you can be really kind of detrimentally, negatively impacting the potential to solve the problem in the first place. So you really need to think about, right, what am I worried about? List it all out, get it on paper and see actually what it is. Is it that you're in debt? Is your tax bill massive? Is it that you're like, I don't know what is going on here? Is it that you don't understand your finances? It might be that you have loads of money, you've got loads of cash, but you don't know what to do with it. And you're like, I don't know. Is it that you just don't have enough cash coming in and therefore you've got a sales problem? Is it that you've got um, people paying invoices problem? You know, are people just not, you know, you've got a lot of cash waiting to be sent and received in the business, you have to really understand what is it that's causing the worry. And it might be that you have like six of those things. <laughs> that's okay, right? It's all right if it's all of them. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is me. But write them down. 
Then for each worry, you need to create an action point. And for most people, it'll be creating more than that and it'll be creating a strategy. So for example, if you know you need to go and make more sales, it's not just about you taking one action, as in some people will then be like, right, I'll go and um, I'll go and talk to my leads. I'm going to go and follow up with everyone that I've spoken to in the last six months. That's great. That's cool. But that's one step of a wider sales strategy, of a wider sales plan to get you to be in at X point. And what happens is people stop at doing the one action or they maybe take four actions, but it's not strategic. And whenever you have these worries in your business, that is a sign to be like, hey, something strategically is not quite right. Something's not placed in a way that feels good to me as a CEO, as an owner, as a director. I need to do something about that. If you don't tackle the worry of cash flow and cash, you know, worry about money and business, it doesn't really go away. Because again, you can be making a million pound a year, 10 million a year, however much you want to make a year. If you have a cash flow problem, you have a cash flow problem. Just because you're making X amount of money doesn't really mean that the worry is going to go away. Because everybody's ingoings and outgoings continually rise for most of the, you know, I'm talking generally, but most of the time, it's not really about the revenue per se. It's about how you manage it, how you understand it, what your strategy is. So if you're currently making 20 grand a year and you want to make 150, you empowering yourself to understand how to move from that place is going to help you. Because when you get to 100K or 150, you're still going to have similar challenges. And I think people really think that that's not the case. And there's a real misconception there. Um, and, you know, I help businesses who are making a hell of a lot of money. And they're still, you know, they're worried about cash flow. I would argue, to be honest, it never goes away. It's one of those worries that always is there, regardless of how much you're making. And it is for the massive, huge unicorns, right? We can see that playing out. I'm currently recording this in January of 2023. Like we see that in terms of um, Google. They've just laid off a load of people. Obviously, that links back to what I was talking about before about, you know, global events and global recession and global kind of unrest. But, you know, a lot of that is around protecting their cash flow, protecting their money, protecting. I mean, that's a whole other conversation as to why they're actually doing it. But, you know, just as from a very basic base level thing, it's like it doesn't matter how much money you're making. This worry about money, you have to learn to manage it. Now, there's another other piece. So from the strategy section and from the like actually doing something about it to make sure that you're not in Shit's Creek and you're like, fuck, we haven't got any money. The other part of that is a mindset shift and is a leadership perspective. And that is something I work with people on because it's really, really important that you make that in your head because that allows you to actually execute the strategy. And what I found is if you don't have the leadership piece and the mindset shift, often this other section around actually doing something doesn't really come off or it doesn't really pay off to the degree that you you know, it could do if you were fully focused all in. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. I could do a whole podcast episodes on these questions, really good ones and and really interesting. Yeah, I just want to create whole strategies for you and like hear what hear who the person who's asked that, like what their business is and how to try and kind of give them a real great example. But let's move on. So number four is how can I motivate staff? <laughs> this question is quite funny. It's not funny, but I found it funny when I read it. How can I motivate staff to do the bare minimum and show up and not phone in sick? This is a great question, right? Because a lot of the businesses that I work with who um, have a team of around, you know, 15, 20 people, 25 people, this is a real 
issue, right? Especially for service-based businesses that, you know, they have teams that are going out to serve people in some way. They're going out into the community or they're going out to other businesses. What I will say is I find that B to C businesses struggle with this more than B2B businesses. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. So what I mean by that is people who are going out into the community to serve, you know, the public tend to have a difficulty in terms of staffing more so, especially in terms of motivation and phoning sick and things like that, than if someone is serving a business. It's not always, it's just an interesting correlation that I found over the years. What can you do to motivate staff? That is a huge, massive question. What I think is really important here is about setting expectation around what the expectation is for them as an employee or as a a contractor. Because for some people, you know, I know a lot of you will have contracted staff, freelance staff, whatever kind of is fits for your business model. Ultimately, people have to understand why they're coming to work. You've got to be paying them enough. I think in 2023, the biggest reason people are falling in sick, the biggest reason people are like, fuck this, I'm not doing it. It's money, right? Everything's so expensive. So there's always exceptions, but there is a correlation between paying well and then looking at, you know, sickness rates and looking at um, kind of employee motivation. Like it does link together. So I think nobody's arguing anymore that, (laughs) you know, you don't need to pay people well. Paying people well is really key workloads really important to manage and to make sure that people are you know not burn out they're not pushed to the nth degree they haven't got work kind of commitments that are just flying everywhere so really looking at where they're at the other thing you need to really understand is get under their skin of why are they there why are they working for you that is the biggest problem that people just don't do Leaders don't do, they're just not interested. They don't ask people like, why are you here? Why you got this job? Like, what is it that you're doing? Get interested in their life outside of whatever they're there for. It's so important that people feel connected to something. They're coming to you every day or multiple times a week. Often people are spending more time at work than they are with their families. So, and I'm not saying that you then create a culture that is, you know, we are a family because that's just, you know, that feels weird. (laughs) It's not, I wouldn't necessarily say that's very, positive or something I'd recommend but what I'm saying is it's like people need to understand each other and they need to feel connected in some way they need to actually want to go to work so it's like how can you make them want to go to work what is it that's you know good about where you work is it that you know the culture that you created so far is not strong enough is it that actually people aren't even connected to the job they're doing getting people really bought into the task that they do or the, the role that they have is something that's so key. And that's not something you do once. It's something you do over and over and over again because people need talent, right? They need guidance. They want to be inspired. And so you as the leader, manager, director, CEO, it's your job to really like make sure that people are all on the same page and people know why they're there. I also think it's important for you to share impact. So Whatever you do and whatever the person, the employee does in terms of delivering something, the whole team needs to understand what is the impact? What are we doing? How are we helping people? Like, for example, at May James, you know, I talk quite a lot with team about, isn't it amazing that so-and-so's done this? We talk about client wins. I talk about, and you know, we don't like, I'm not going through every single client or anything. Obviously we have client confidentiality and things that i you know, there's various bits and pieces in place. But what I mean is, is we'll talk about the impact it has 
what we have done in the world as a business at the end of last year it was like right well you know we've helped this amount of people and you know this amount of revenue has been created and x amount of things happened and that really connects the team because they understand that oh wow okay like me doing my little task contributes to x thing us getting the brand out to whoever is actually moving x thing forward and that is it's really important right because it's really kind of key to be like okay I know why I'm here and I know what I'm doing. The other thing and the other part of this though is that sometimes people are just going to fall in sick and sometimes people are ill, (laughs) which I think, you know, since COVID and since all of the like stuff that we've gone through the last few years, people are really much more open to actually calling in sick and saying, hey, I'm not well enough to work. And I think that's a fantastic thing. I know as a business owner, that probably doesn't feel like that, but you know, how good is it that we haven't got people coming to work to spread all their germs like we used to? Personally, as a leader, I'd rather people stay at home if they're not well, because I don't, you know, I don't want their illness and I don't want the rest of the team getting their illness. We, as a business, work remotely, so that doesn't really affect us. But I'm just saying, if I was in an office, I prefer that. The other part of this question about doing the bare minimum, often this comes down to your leadership. I'm going to be honest. If you do not lead people they will take you for a ride because they're demotivated. They're not interested. And often they feel like they can't do their job because maybe you're not communicating well with them. And I really think it's important for you to look at whatever issue people problem is in your business, whatever team issues are in your business, looking at it and saying, right, what am I doing that is contributing to this? What am I doing as the leader or what am I not doing as the leader that is causing this or isn't helping this? Because what I find is a lot of the time, this comes down to you, your organization, your leadership, your systems, your operations, your processes, how switched on you are with everything that's going on. People are good people most of the time. You are always going to get people in a business who don't gel, who don't make sense, who you shouldn't have hired, but you had to because of X, Y, and Z thing, or you know it just didn't work out for whatever reason. But there's also a huge group of people who are really kind of amazing individuals who want to have a job that fulfills them and want to, you know, make a really nice place to be and and have a nice time and excel in their career and do really good work and help other people. But they very, very quickly become unmotivated and become the complete opposite of what I've just described. If you do not lead correctly, if you are very unorganized, if you don't communicate with them, it is very simple things that over, you know, days, months, years, and weeks contribute to, you know, great behavior, you know, really motivated staff, people that'll go out of their way and over and beyond to help you. But often it's a leadership issue. Leadership and organizational in the sense of your systems and your back end, that those two together have to come in a really nice position in order for people to feel good. The other thing on this is just have people been onboarded properly. So many people have not been onboarded properly into a business and they're kind of, when you're saying do the bare minimum, it's like, have do they even know what the bare minimum is? Do you even set them any target? Do you set them any professional development? Do they understand what the hell that they're doing or do they just come do something and leave? So that would be like my go-to with with that one. And as always, we could talk about it forever. But I always think you need to focus on what are you doing about it and then look outward. And it might be actually that there's someone in the team who needs to go 
and that there's someone who's creating a culture that is not aligned to where you're going and isn't really helping and is not aiding the growth of the business. And if that is the case, that's a whole other discussion. But all I'm going to say is you need to address that and you've got to address it quick. Do not run away from that. Do not let it fester for months. You can't really afford to fester for weeks. So you need to sort it out. Right. Now, I was going to move on to the next question, but I think the rest of them are about sales. So I don't know whether to... Actually, let's do one on pricing and then I'm going to end this and we can do a sales Q&A episode because that might be interesting. So this one's linked to sales, but it's about pricing. So we'll talk about it. So the question is, what is the biggest mistake people make when it comes to pricing? And this is really interesting because I could talk about this forever, but here's my somewhat concise answer on that. The biggest issue I see is that people don't review their pricing enough. So they, you know, set a pricing strategy or they don't have a strategy and they just set some random prices and they pull them out of thin air, but then they don't review them. They don't amend them um, and they just kind of forget about them. Now, that doesn't really work in the pace of the world in 2023 because the world is moving so fast. (laughs) Things are just changing at a rapid rate like never before. You know, in a space of 12 months, an industry can change more than it has done in sort of the previous 10 or 20 or 30 years even because everything, you know, technology and and everything is just moving on so much. So then people get really left behind with the pricing because they just think, right, it's a once a year job or it's a once every 10 year job. You know, sometimes I can go into business. I'm like, when did you last review your pricing? It's like, oh, so-and-so just had a quick look over it and that was 10 months ago and, and before. And I'm like, okay, what about before then? And they're like, don't know. And there's no kind of strategy behind it. And there's no kind of understanding about growth and understanding about where they're going. And so, again, I know I bang on about this all the time, but it comes back to strategy. It comes back to you understanding what is the plan? What is the plan for the business over the next three years, next five years, next 10 years? I'm not saying you need to know everything ins and outs of it. But what I'm saying is you need to fully understand like, okay, well, is the team coming in at that point? And where are we going at this point? And you know, where in the market, what market share do we want? If we're constantly growing, does the market share get bigger? What does that mean for our price and our position? And does our brand move from being really exclusive to being then somewhat mainstream? Understanding all of this is what then impacts your pricing. So the biggest mistake I see is that people just don't have this bigger, wider picture. They don't understand it from a depth perspective of like, yeah, I get that. The other thing is, they do their pricing themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing your pricing yourself. However, I do think having someone external to come in and help you with it really helps because it gives you an impartial view. And the biggest issue with pricing is everyone gets bees in their bonnets about how much they should charge and how much they shouldn't. Most people I work with are undercharging, but then there is an issue of overcharging. And if you overcharge for something and the pricing kind of isn't set right, that also doesn't work. And so often it's like, this just doesn't make sense full stop. And the first thing I do when I go into a business is see, well, not the first thing, but one of the first things is around the revenue, the pricing, how's that working? How does that all kind of talk to each other? And, you know, often people are undercharging. But the issue with that is because one, it was never a solid strategy in the first place. But two, there's just never been this consistency in terms of reevaluate and then checking in and, and seeing like the value in that. And that's why the people who work with me one on one, that's part of the reason they work with me long term. Some people work with me 
we start with six months, but some people work, you know, choose to work with me for two years, three years continuously on the basis of that there's so many functions in a business as you're scaling really fast that you need to have a kind of heads up on and you need to fully understand you know what's going on and what's the next step and so just because we've done it in month one by the time we get to month six often that needs addressing because the business has changed and so that's where my role comes in because I'm then the person that's like right let's reassess this let's look at this let's change this so For me, the biggest mistake is that you just don't review it and you don't look at it. Obviously, the most obvious answer to that question is you just don't charge enough. But I don't want to say that because I just think it's not really helping you in any way. Also, another thing is people just don't put any profit on their pricing. That's another bizarre thing. They kind of try to, but it's not intentional. So they kind of end up just pricing in this bizarre way. They don't even realize how much it costs them to run their business and their outgoings and their expenses and to, you know, to pay themselves. There's this real like disparity between understanding that, especially massively in small businesses. If you're a one-man band, if you are kind of under the 10 grand a month mark, but I don't like using numbers because actually the numbers often don't, it doesn't really matter about the numbers. It's more so about the point in which you're in business. A lot of people haven't really taking the time to think well actually yeah I want that or I need that or I could do with that it's just this like we'll see what happens and we'll change it as we go mentality so that is all for today's episode that was five questions with answers and I will be back in the next few weeks with a sales specific Q&A and the questions are interesting we've got about should we do sales calls or not there is what to do when no one is buying. There is something about how can I accurately forecast my sales. So there's a lot to dig into with that. So yeah, I hope you are well. Thank you for listening. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at may.james underscore and say hi and let me know how you found the episode. Tag me and share with your community that you're listening. I'd love to leave a review, five-star review or four-star or one-star if you think it's shit. That's fine. But I'd love if you'd leave a review. I love kind of hearing how you're finding the podcast and I'll be back next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Honest Business Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you are subscribed. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others and leave a rating and review. To catch up with all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at may.james underscore, where I share the raw, uncut, behind the scenes reality of what running multiple businesses every day truly looks like. As always, links and any resources that were mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes below. That's all for this episode and I look forward to seeing you next time.